Hello, Goldmine readers and listeners. This is Pat Prince, editor of Goldmine Magazine, and welcome back to the Goldmine Podcast. This one's the first week of December. And uh, this week I'm really digging this Magpie Salute album, playing in the background. Just getting around to listening, really. And this song in particular, called Omission, is a real rocker. It's probably my song of the month. The entire album's great. It came out in June. Uh, if you don't know, Magpie Salute are two Black Crows guitars getting back together. Rich Robinson and Mark Ford. And this puts us in the mood for some hard rock and traditional heavy metal for the podcast. We'll start off with some old school heavy metal next as we interview guitarist Mark Briotti of Jag Panzer right after this message. Hey, I'm Ronald Webb, and this is Patrick Prince. And together we host the Goldmine Radio Hour, the show that features the latest issue of Goldmine. The Music Collector's Magazine. Tune in Sunday at 7 p.m. Eastern Time on CygnusRadio.com. Welcome back, and uh, we're going to talk to Mark Briotti, uh, the guitarist for Jag Panzer, a heavy metal group that has been around since the early 1980s. Started out as an underground metal band. And in the early 80s, when I was a kid, I used to collect a lot of vinyl records from un- on a lot of underground music, on a lot of indie labels. Um, I didn't care if it was from Japan or France or Spain. Um, I collected it. Sometimes I didn't even listen to it. That's what kind of geek I was. But uh, I remember coming across Jag Pans around the label Ironworks uh, in 1984. And it was an album called Ample Destruction, which um, was very raw. A lot of uh, great raw riffs from on the guitar and a lot of uh, Halford-esque shrieks from the vocalist um, named Harry Conklin. Uh, who had been nicknamed the tyrant but they also had some picture discs which you know as you know picture discs are uh, very collectible now that uh, had some uh, with artwork that was uh, like the art from a graphic novel where the anti-hero is fighting off uh, gangs and stuff one one uh, particular the what's called the tyrant ep is had a, a a woman uh, clad in leather with a chainsaw fighting off some Hell's Angel types, if I can remember properly. Um, but, uh, you know, Jag Panzer is a unique heavy metal band. They've been around for a while. They're from Colorado. And uh, they have a new album called Deviant Chord. And we're going to talk to Mark about the new album and also about the uh, collectability of some of that underground metal from the 80s. And one second, we'll get Mark on the phone. Mark. Hey. I don't know if you're familiar with Goldmine. It's more, it's like a music collector's mag that. Oh come... yeah, I used to buy every issue and just oh, looking good. for uh, for maiden collectibles. <laughs> exactly during the mail order days, that's where you got things. Um, yeah, and I, you know, I'd have to pour through you know ten pages of ads in Goldmine before I'd find someone selling metal. But it was, yeah, I, I, it's amazing, dude, how many musicians I talked to that uh, went to Goldmine to mail, you know, to buy vinyl that they couldn't find in the record stores. Um, now it's, you know, obviously it's different with the internet, but, um, yeah. you know, that was the source, man. That was, that it was, was. 
Well, let's, you know, during the interview, let's let's start, a, let's go back to the beginning, uh, because, you know, since Goldmine talks a lot about, uh, you know, music collecting in general, but specifically vinyl, you know, as far as a metal band, Jag Panzer has been around since the early 80s, and you know, albums, vinyl albums were the format, man, and everything was released on vinyl. And Yeah, absolutely. Are you surprised how much some of this 80s metal vinyl is going for now? <laughs> yeah, it's, it's surprising. I see some things that are, you know, people are wanting from the 80s, which is, is unfortunate, but I still have a lot of uh, collector's pieces. I have the, all the original Maiden 12 inches and so wait, you had you had your collection in the in a warehouse and it was stolen. Yeah, we had the band that we had been living in Los Angeles. We moved back here, so I, I flew back. Yeah, originally by myself, I was needed back here, and so I just took a handful of records with me and left the rest in a big crate in a warehouse. And someone had pried the warehouse door open. Wow! And when did this happen? In the nineties? Uh, yeah, no, this would have been eighty eighty four. Wow, that that sucks. Yeah, I remember yeah. you were out there living with, um, you know, out there with Ironworks was out in California as well, right? Yep. And a lot of that stuff, you know, I look and I haven't seen some in a while, but the clear the vinyl that um, Ironworks used to put out, I remember it seeing like um, colored vinyl, clear vinyl for ample destruction. You know, an ironwork selling for hundreds of dollars. Um, you know, I, like you said, you probably owned all that stuff, didn't you? Yeah, you know, I, I have all the colored vinyl for Ample, except I don't have an original red vinyl. But I've actually got a sealed clear vinyl original Ample print. So I have no idea. I bet that would be worth a, a nice chunk of change. It is. I. And wasn't Ironworks also Azra Records? Yeah, yeah, same label. Yeah, Azra did all different kinds of music, so I think he, he tagged on the Ironworks name specifically for metal. I think we were the first Ironworks band, I believe. I think probably were, because I remember back in 83, 1983, you released your uh, self-titled album. I think he put it on a picture disc only, right? Was it on pictures? Uh, well, the the first thing we did from Azra was the square picture disc single. Yes. And then uh, Death, then he Death did the Row, right? Disc. Yeah. And then he did the picture disc album for what people now call the Tyrant EP, but he followed that up with regular black vinyl, I think like a couple weeks later. <laughs> I got to you know, I got to give it to him. A Dave, what was his last name? Dave Richards. Dave Richards. I mean, Say what you want about the guy, but he he did all that stuff before it really caught on. The limited edition, colored vinyl, picture discs, you know, that that wasn't really seen as it is today, as far as I can remember. He, oh, he did, and he was good to us, too, that, uh, that square death row single. He just, uh, you know, he asked if we wanted to do one. It wasn't on the contract, so he, he did... Uh, 250 of them and just handed them all to us did you so did you live near dave uh richards at the time no i actually we were we were out in glendora which was uh no san dimas actually was where bill and ted's adventure was set and uh 
Dave was in a really bad part of Los Angeles. He was in Maywood. <laughs> yeah. We'd have to let him know when we were coming over so he could tell the local gangs that, hey, I got some buddies coming over. <laughs> and and then he'd open up the garage and it'd be full of his record shop. <laughs> yeah. And, uh, yeah, there's, there's definitely rough characters in his neighborhood, but they all knew him. I mean, it looked like a very close-knit, friendly neighborhood as long as you weren't an outsider. <laughs> The funny thing is, is he didn't distribute overseas, and um, if I can remember correctly, and and I don't think Ample Destruction, if correct me if I'm wrong, it wasn't released overseas till like 1990, right? Right. I you know I tried to give the record away to over, overseas labels and got rejected by every one of them. That's insane. Yeah, because because Dave. You know, Dave from Mass Ryan Works, I remember him calling me saying, you know, I, I just have the U.S. rights. You guys can sell this overseas. Right. And I said, oh, great. So that you know, was really cool. He giving me the heads up on that because I didn't know anything about the business. So right away, I sent copies to, uh, you know, labels like Music for Nations, Neat. Um, God, what were some of the other European labels at the time? And uh, Black Dragon. Um, was French. Um, yeah, I remember music. Yeah, I really wanted to be on. I, I thought it would have been cool being on Neat Records in yeah. England, and, or and Music for Nations was doing well. And it just, I got a rejection letter right away, and so I wrote back and said, "Look, I'll just give you the record. Oh, just no. put it out." And they still said no. I remember it did get released in Canada on Bonsai, right? Yeah, that was a bootleg. You know, we were that was talking a bootleg? to Bonsai. Yeah, yeah, we were talking to Bonsai, and everything's going good, and all of a sudden, we never heard from him again, and then it was released. Wow. And it didn't have a great album cover either, whereas the original... Oh, it was awful. <laughs> the original we had, had a, uh... Four Men of the Apocalypse, and this was kind of like a... Was it a robot or something? I don't know what it was like parts out of a Sears catalog <laughs> yeah you know we with all the re ample's been reissued a bunch of times over, yes. we always wanted the we always wanted the original cover but back then there was some weird unwritten rule that if you did a reissue you should change the cover true and uh, when it was finally released I didn't like the uh, cover too much um, the 1990 version I think it was in the UK right the, yeah, the original album cover is much better, um, and that album, you know, I guess it's Neat's loss because I always thought that album was a cult metal classic. And I still, do, I think it's one of the most unique metal albums ever made, man. Oh, and thank you. Back then, when I was a kid, you know, I spread the word of that album <laughs> like it, yeah. like crazy, man. I think the whole town of Stanford is into Ample Destruction, so it was it. I just never understood. I I kind of thought that power metal just never got its due in America and it, kind of Europe too. I until like bands like Halloween, I guess, started up in yeah. But now when you guys go back to when you go to Europe, you're treated like gods. Um, really. <laughs> Isn't that what do you think of that phenomenon? So from a guy yeah. who was, couldn't give away his record to now being <laughs> treated like that over there. 
it's funny now with Ample, we we get certain people now, you know, that that it's it, they albums like an albatross around my neck. I've had people that that didn't want to book us unless we only played Ample. I'm like, uh, no, I can't do that. Well, I have it's like a, an, another career, <laughs> you know, beyond that album. Well, it was so long ago. It is it is a great album. As I said, I think it's one of the most unique metal albums ever made and I think Harry Conklin can still probably sing some of that. Oh yeah, yeah. We we do a lot of it live, but I you know I have no desire to do a show just solely of Ample. You're not gonna do one of those uh you're not gonna follow the trend and do <laughs> an album it's in its entirety? Like a lot of bands no, we did two shows of that for friends over in Europe, and I said, "That's it, I'm done." It's, uh, <laughs> yeah, it's I know it's a trend, but it, for me, it's an it's an artistic dead end. I just have I, no interest in that. I hear you, because uh, God, it's been about ten albums later. I mean, it's interesting. Yeah. But the weird the weird thing is, is people it's still um, people still remember it and play it and. I think they always will. Um, yeah, High Roller. We you know we signed on four years ago for them to reissue Ample, and they did four different reprints of it. And they also did a four LP vinyl box set, right? Wasn't it? Uh, yeah. What was the name of that? It was like uh, Historical Battles. And it was only a few hundred copies, so that was pretty cool. Yeah, they did a great. Well, they did a great job on everything. It was just a cool label. They. They really they hired a great mastering engineer to master those records because like Ample, I went to the Ample mastering session and it took two minutes. I mean, literally, the guy put the tape on, made it made an EQ change after listening to half of the first song, and then said, "Okay, we're done." Wow! So High Roller paid for a proper, real mastering of this stuff. So it sounds great on High Roller. The uh, you know, they worked with the original analog masters. They they did a lot of cool collectibles, uh, type colored vinyl and picture discs with the reissue. So, yeah, they they really did justice to the old material. So about the new release, Deviant Court. I mean, there's there's some songs that have that old school Jag Panzer feel, especially. Um, I think the title track, you know, starts out like a ballad, but then all of a sudden it kicks in and. Harry Conklin is sounding a little bit like Ample. I mean, it's pretty amazing that he still has that voice after all these years. Yeah, he's been uh, he's been singing since uh, I think he was eight years old. I, I mean, I've known him since we were six. Yeah, yeah, I think I think we were. He was eight when he started singing, and he's never stopped. And luckily, you know, we had great choir teachers. You know, we grew up in a poor neighborhood, but for some reason, we had great choir teachers. So. He's always learned really good singing techniques, so it always keeps his voice up. So wait, you and him sang in the choir? That's pretty neat. <laughs> no, well, I didn't. He did. I, I can't. <laughs> my, fa- my father was a very good singer. My mother uh, they gave her crayons during singing class, so I sort of have an I sort of have a less than average voice, so I, I don't sing. But it's did you did guitar come naturally to you? You said you grew up in kind of a lower class, lower middle class neighborhood. Did when did you get your first guitar? How did that come about? Uh, Harry actually got a guitar before me, and he he showed me God of Thunder, and I thought, wow. oh man, I want, 
I want to get a guitar. So I think I was I was 15, and my parents made a deal with me. I had to take guitar lessons, and I, I had to take it at their their studio of choosing. So they choose Johnny Smith Studios. Johnny Smith was Bing Crosby's guitar player. Yes. And, uh, it was jazz, very strict. You know, I wasn't going to lessons learning Jimmy Page licks. <laughs> I was learning chord structures and. I didn't like it back then, but man, I am thankful now I had that music background. Well, you know what, Mark? You always, you know, you guys were influenced by the new wave of British heavy metal, but you you always liked all different kinds of music, didn't you? I, I even notice now that you, because I'm a friend on Facebook, that you listen to uh, Eclectic, and I like that. I like the musicians that listen to all kinds of music. Yeah, I really do like everything. I think there's value, you know, in any kind of music. I think any genre of music became popular for a reason. It's, it's got a quality. Sometimes you got to hunt for it because yeah. often, the you know, generally I find the mainstream bands aren't the best. Right. So I have to kind of hunt down. But uh, once I do it, it's, you know, it's always worth it. I, right. I have people on my playlist, I think, of every kind of music. And it's different nowadays than it was in in the 80s, if you remember. If you were into heavy metal, wasn't as open-minded as it is now. <laughs> you were part of you were part of a club, and you did not go out of that circle. That's kind of how it reminds me of. But uh, I'm sure you've noticed that. Oh, I get I get hate messages now when I post. You know, I'll post like a Duran Duran song or something, and I'll, I'll get a hate message from somebody. I thought you were a metal brother. <laughs> it's amazing, man. It's amazing. But I was uh, reading yeah. some reading something about the new album where you said that uh, the band did multiple demos for every song. Why is that? Why Why did you change the way of doing things? Well, I, I we always like to make every record sound different. You know, we want each one to have its own character. Yep. So we, we found the best way to do that is just to try to, right out the gate, just do something different on this record. You know, maybe record it differently, maybe record it in a different order. So for this one, we decided, well, let's let's go old school because, you know, before we did Ample and the Tyrant CP, we were demoing these songs like crazy. I mean, we, we had guys in the band giving blood to chip in money to pay for recording sessions, and that was... Uh, my job, I was paying, I was kicking in my whole check for recording sessions. So back then, we had demos, I think, of everything twice over before we did uh, Ample. So we thought, you know, we can demo for free now since I've got my studio. So let's let's try this. Let's do the demo thing again just to see if it'll give the record a different sound. Do you like having your own studio? Do, do you um, like running the show and being responsible like that? Uh, you know, there's pluses and minuses. It's, uh, you know, the plus is it's right here and it's, it's a nice studio. It's not a typical bedroom one by any means. I mean, it is a nice studio. We've done the, the past seven Jag Panzer albums. So that's nice. Just being able to go into a studio uh, yeah. at any time. The downside is back in the day, you know, I would really, really work on an idea before I went in the studio. Mm. And I, I don't do that nowadays. They say, oh, I got an idea, let me go in the studio. That's pretty cool. You could actually like wake up in the middle of the night and say, I have an idea, <laughs> go down in the studio and record something, right? 
I mean, yeah, yeah, and I do do that. Uh, that is a good. I mean, you're lucky to have that compared to the old days. And I wanted to ask you though, what what is uh, what is your favorite? If you had to pick an album, I know that Ample is kind of. You said it's kind of like an albatross now because everyone wants to hear it. Um, but is there is there a favorite? Um. Yeah. Well, I know the most. The, I know the yeah, most ambitious favorite. one was the concept album on Macbeth. Yeah, that would probably. I mean, you know, I would honestly say the new one is my favorite. But that, you know, that's that's not a good answer. I think any musician would say that. So, yeah, let me go with the end of the throne, the concept album, because there was a ton of work in that. We approached it like we were writing a soundtrack to a movie that didn't exist. Anyway, but the new album sounds really good, man. I mean, I think that it starts off with a, a power metal song, Term of the Flame. Reminds me a little of Halloween, and that's that's a compliment. And then a lot of it has... You're right, it, every album sounds different, but it has... Every song has a Jag Panzer unique touch to it. Oh, good. Thank you. That's definitely what we were going for. Well, I hope you I hope you come uh, come around to the East Coast again, man. Because I'd love to. I think we. Are. Yeah. Our, our our agent told me that he was. And thanks for thanks for doing the interview. Um, cool. Well, thank you, Mark, for your time. It was great talking to you and uh, listeners. If you wanna get introduced to Jag Panzer, they have the new album Deviant Chord. Or you could pick up the Ample Destruction album that we were talking about that came out in 1984. If you pick it up on the original Ironworks label, it's about $70 right now in, in near mint condition. Um, it actually might be even more than that. Um, and then it was reissued a couple of times. Okay, we're going to move on to uh, talk about David Cassidy, who unfortunately passed away um, recently. And we're going to talk to two of our authors from Goldmine. One is Ken Sharp. And Ken Sharp, um, you know, David Cassidy was a childhood hero of Ken Sharp. So what Ken did is uh, Ken is also a musician and has several albums himself. And Ken recorded a tribute song uh, for David Cassidy. And it's called I Want to Be David Cassidy. Uh, because, quite frankly, that's how he felt when he was a kid. And uh, I Want to Be David Cassidy is available by uh, digital download, but what Goldmine cares about is the vinyl that is released, and it's limited edition until December 31st. And you could go to goldminemag.com, and you could see the store and click on it and order it. Um, and what we want to talk about is the song here, Why Can recorded it and also the proceeds are going to david cassidy's uh, charity called the alzheimer's association so we're going to talk to ken now okay so ken thanks for being on the podcast let's talk about your single i want to be david cassidy tell me what it's all about yeah well you know i've been a david cassidy fan my whole life you know i grew up watching the show and being a huge fan of the Partridge family and, and David throughout his career. And uh, I've had, you know, a, a lot of personal encounters and, 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 and with David through the years. Um, I uh, did liner notes uh, uh, with Lisa Sutton 
for some Partridge Family CDs. I worked, uh, ghosted some, you know, interviews and things for David's book, uh, Could It, Could It Be Forever, which came out in 2007. Right. Interviewed him quite a few times and actually had the dream to open up a show for David with my band in February of this mm. year, which sadly turned out to be one of the last shows David ever performed. Right. So when the news came that he was in the hospital and his organs were shutting down, it really, really hit me so hard. Um, I, the last time I saw David was backstage at the show I opened after I played, and he gave me a big hug. And in fact, there, um, Dr. Phil was filming an episode there, and there's a little footage of me posing for a photo with David with my friend's book on the Partridge family that actually made the show, ironically. Right. But yeah, I was just so bummed out because knowing him and, and being friendly with him and you, you feel like you're losing a part of yourself. And I felt uh, I had to do something more than kind of Maureen's passing. So the day, you know, it turned out the day that he actually passed away, I was started writing a song about kind of how I felt as a kid wanting to be David Cassidy. It wasn't done tongue-in-cheek. I mean, I mean it from the heart. Right. It was all done passion, you know, in, in terms of, you know, driven by passion. And ironically, um, the, the song was recorded a few days after uh, David passed away, and the next day after it was recorded, it was on um, the Underground Garage, Rodney Bingenheimer show on Sirius XM Radio, so it was on national radio. So it's kind of crazy. Yeah, you know, getting re getting really good reaction from people, and I've never done this before. I've only put out albums, you know, as full you know full length projects. But my my good friend and and and, and producer, multi instrumentalist Fer Fernando Perdomo, um, said you should put this out as a digital single, and he contributed um, his time and his studio time to do the record um, for free because all the proceeds from the digital single and the vinyl single are going to David's charity of choice, the Alzheimer's Association. Right. His mother, Evelyn Ward, passed away in 2012 from Alzheimer's, and David was starting to um, experience the effect of dementia, uh, which he spoke about. So I felt it was only right to give all the proceeds to that. So basically, um, we cut the song so quickly. Um, I was really inspired, and I wrote, you know, what I think is a pretty cool song with definitely a bubblegum tinge. Mm. And there are people posting after it aired on Rodney's show on Sirius XM, I really would want this as a vinyl single. Yeah. And I had no plans to do anything besides the digital single. And a gentleman from Sofa King Vinyl got a hold of me and said, hey, let's do this. Let's get this out on vinyl. We need to pre-sell 100 for this to actually happen. Mm. And... I hit up a ton of friends and posted about it, and, and within 24 hours, we hit the 100 mark. Wow. Which was actually the quickest. Uh, I think it's sitting now at 135, but we really need to keep selling. I think we have until the end of the month to keep selling. And the more the more we sell, the more money we raise for the charity. But, but yeah, um, so uh, I know, Pat, you'll give out the links on how people Absolutely. can buy uh, – buy the vinyl single or they can go and buy it digitally at Amazon or Bandcamp Band or iTunes, um, Apple Music, things like that. Well, we're going yeah, to sample it here and okay. uh, I think people should go and, and buy the vinyl. Um, you know, we're about the tangible, so <laughs> it's a great, it's a great sleeve. Uh, it's very cool. Um, I Want to Be David Cassidy by Ken Sharp.
fan club sure dollar 59 dollar 59 <laughs> and i still have my tiger beats too <laughs> uh, you, hey, you, not, you, know, you mentioned that in the song reading those yeah. tiger beats and being part of the fan club so yeah i mean i'm not embarrassed to say that i was a fan of david cassie and the partridge family since day one and i'm still a huge fan that music is great you know people look down at certain things or they grow older and they grow out of things i've never grown out of what I originally liked, I still like it. I still love it. Right. Yeah. Very cool, man. Awesome. Thanks, Ken. Oh, thank you so much, Pat. And I'll talk to you soon. And you could go to ken-sharp.com to order that or go to goldminemag.com and you can read about it. And anyway, we also want to talk to Dave Thompson, um, our writer, because he did a nice in-memoriam for Goldmine on goldminemag.com. And there's also going to be something in the new issue in February um, on David Cassidy. And Dave will talk about how he grew up in England and was a Partridge Family fan. Um, I don't know if he was forced to be a Partridge Family fan or just he turned on the television seeking it out. Anyway, Dave, welcome. All right, Dave. Well, I wanted to talk to you about a David Cassidy in memoriam that you wrote for goldminemag.com. It was quite good. Uh, quite. Quite. <laughs> Thank you, yes. It you was. You, you don't want the guests getting big-headed. Do you... um? Tell us about it growing up in England, liking the Partridge family. How did uh, how did you guys over there get the Partridge family? Was it a little delayed, or was um, was the phenomenon at the same time it was in America? Oh, very much. Um, I don't know if it started in England at the same time, because it started here, what, seventy, uh, wasn't it? Yeah. Um, by 71, we had it on TV, and you know the records were becoming 
Yes. And I know, you know, it was it was a ghastly show, but it was, you know, everybody watched it. Yeah. And, you know, the next day in the playground, you'll be, oh, did you see the Partridge Family? Wasn't that song awful? You know, and then, <laughs> you know, it'd be stuck in your head forever. And, you know, it's like, well, I like Susan Day, but the rest of them are really horrible. And, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know what 11-year-old boys are like. Yes. So... They're usually yeah, not kind. Usually not kind. Right. Um, but it was, you know, it was there. The songs were always on the radio, always on television. And whether you liked them or not, they just became a part of your... Life. Your life, yeah. And, it... and that's, that's what I meant to... You know, so when I finished the, at the end of that piece, yeah, when you know we have all our favourites from you know the people of you know a certain age, right. have all our favourite songs and artists from a certain period, but there's those ones that were just wallpaper, yeah, and those are the ones really when you hear them, you know, you hear I woke up in love this morning on the radio, and mm. it, it takes you straight back. Well, you said could it be forever was song in '72. And you said, sadly, it can't, but we wish it could. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and I mean, that was, I mean, he, he had such a great... Charisma. Well, I was going to say, he had a great grasp of material. I mean, yeah. he certainly made some revolting recordings at that time. I remember right. hearing his version of Bally High from South Pacific. Mm. And it's like, what are you thinking? What is anybody thinking? <laughs> Could It Be Forever or Cherish, right. uh, Daydreamer, I, they were great records. Well, so. speaking of Cherish, uh, you said the records don't sound, they still sound fabulous. They don't sound, I, I'm guessing you're saying they don't sound dated. Is that what you're no, saying? The, the good ones, the good ones are timeless. The less good ones, I know, I remember hearing the puppy song and also being horrified. You weren't a big puppy fan, right? You don't uh, you don't send out puppy memes. You don't. No, I, I more don't. a cat person. I'm a cat. I'm a cat person and a praying mantis person. I'm afraid. <laughs> so yeah, I I think that uh, he just kind of stuck with you as a fond memory. Uh, both... Yeah, and I, I did. I must once I actually admitted that. Okay, it's not. Yeah, I actually quite like him. I quite like the yeah, most of his records. Um, I just thought you know, it just stayed. You know, I still I still have my Partridge Family collection. Right. You know, I still have you know Partridge Family memorabilia. Yeah, you know, Spe- I go on eBay looking to complete the set of bubblegum cards. Speaking of which, how is that memorabilia to collect? Is it worth anything? It can be. Um, I mean, it's hard to tell nowadays because you know someone will go through their attic and they'll find. You know, the Partridge Family Paper Dolls book. I think, oh, this must be my retirement. So it will go up on eBay for a ridiculous price. And because they don't show up too often in good condition, you know, it might sell. Is it worth that? I don't know. Hmm. Because, other, you know, other times they'll show up really cheap and sell at that price. So it's really hard. I've never met a hardcore David Casty collector in, let's say, mainstream record collecting. Okay, but are you seeing him as David Cassidy or are you seeing him as Keith Partridge? 
That's the thing. I mean, if you're seeing him as Keith Parker... isn't he? <laughs> it's like Jekyll and Hyde, except they were both nice. Yes. <laughs> well, speaking of nice, you've met him and interviewed him. Yes. A very nice person? Was he a very uh, he nice was, person? He was great. Um, and, and yeah, I made, again, it's a point I made in the, uh, in the piece. The, the publicist is like, do not mention the Partridge family. You know, he, will, <laughs> he will rip the top of your head off and suck out your brains with a straw if you do. So you say, hey, Dave, how are you? And he says, great, it reminds me of when I was in the bus with the Partridge family. It's like, no, don't say it. Um, but it <laughs> Isn't that and, always the case? <laughs> yeah, I mean, and, I mean, he was just so, I mean, affable sounds. Yeah. Awful, but, I mean, he was, he was, I mean, he is a professional, but he was also a genuine professional. Mm. He wasn't doing, he wasn't being nice because it was his job and he wanted good press. Right. You know, he would just, he would just sit there and chat and you'd have all your prepared questions and you wouldn't get to answer any, ask any of them. Did you see him live back in the day, like in the 70s compared? No. Um, no? No. Um, the closest I got was the Osmonds. Mm. Oh, and the Rollers. Gotcha. Uh, he always played... He never seemed to play during my school holidays. Gotcha. Yeah, whereas the Osmonds... The Osmonds did. That was very nice of them. <laughs> not the, great. Not the Carpenters? Never, never saw the Carpenters, no. <laughs> the Osmonds were great. The show started, I think, at like 5 p.m. I was out of there by 8.30. Oh. I had never been to a gig where I was out by 8.30. <laughs> <laughs> the juice bar must have been rocking. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and you look at the audience it's like, okay, I'm back at kindergarten. So uh, it, there really are some, I, and I know there, you know, there's some stuff out there besides the the cards, collectible cards, uh, that you own, right? I mean, didn't he have like everything from uh, people collected Teen Beat to posters and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, there were there were a series of paperback books. Wow, I didn't know that. Yeah, Partridge Family Mysteries. Ooh, fun, like Scooby-Doo. Kind of like, well, (laughs) funny you should say that, because they were very like, it was almost as though somebody crossed out Scooby and wrote in Tracy. (laughs) Uh, They're not not literary masterpieces, but... Neither was Scooby. They always had a really good Partridge Family cover, and you you could sort of pretend that it was them. Did they drive around in their bus? Yes, of course. Oh, so yeah, it's kind of like that was the Scooby van. There's the toy bus. Yes, okay. There's, there's the viewfinder. Oh, that's neat. Yeah, the viewfinder's great. I actually had to buy a new, go out and you know, pick up a new viewfinder because I'd got the, I'd got the disc. But, how, how, old, yeah. how, what did that cost you? Oh, <laughs> uh, uh, so, so it's not, it's, if you wanted some, you know, memorabilia. Um, no, the viewfinder itself. Oh, just a regular thing. viewfinder, gotcha. Yeah. The, but if uh, you wanted some Part- uh, Partridge family memorabilia, Cassidy memorabilia, it's it's reasonably priced. There's some um, out there. A lot of it is the comics. Uh, the comics can be pricey. Okay. Um, some of the more ephemeral stuff, like <clears throat> you know, the, the pictorial activity album, which has where nobody has done the activities. Right can be difficult to find. Mm. Um, things like the um, the new Pop Portrait magazine, Popstar, with David Cassidy on the front, that's uh, that's tricky. Yeah. Because 
with these things, you kind of want them in good condition. Mm. And that's very hard because if you look at who the target audience was, you know, gotcha. people who rip out all the pictures, pin them on the wall and write, you know, I love Danny all over it. Well, where did the Dave, where did the David Cassidy Partridge family fans go to? What was the next step? Did they become Rolling Stones fans, David <laughs> Bowie fans, where, or did they uh, just? Yes, yes and Camel, I think. <laughs> <laughs> oh, okay. Apart from the ones that went off and got into Gong, um, I don't know. I mean, where does any sort of. 10, 11, 12, even older girls' musical taste go after that first film. Well, with the Monkees, they went probably to the... Maybe they discovered the Monkees first and went to the Beatles or to the Rolling Stones, you know? Yeah. And I think... I think they, you know, they just followed the tide. So in this country, who came along after the Partridge family? Right. I mean, they could have followed, uh, you know, power pop bands. Um oh. Eric Carmen. Um, I like to think that they that that music was very much a part of you know, early adolescence. And then they just and, moved uh, on to anything. And then they moved on. Yeah, I mean, a lot of I knew a lot of girls who were really into David Bowie and loved him more than anybody else in the world. And six months earlier, they were really into David Cassidy and loved him more than anybody else. In the world. <laughs> <Yeah>. so, <laughs> gotcha. Yeah, because now they were 12 and grown up. <clears throat> yeah, well, I liked David when I was a kid, 11. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, it's worth a read, your In Memoriam. It's it's really heartfelt, man. It, it, it gives a sense of what you were feeling, you know, as a kid and how you feel now about him. Well, thank you. And, and uh, um, you know, he's still going to live on, whether it's through nostalgia or, you know, whatever. Um, yeah. And you haven't even mentioned the high values attending the Latter Day Partridge Family album. Oh, really? Last two are tricky. Okay. Not for the last two, but they can be very hard to find in good condition. Oh, to and also, when you are buying them used, always make sure they've got their little insert inside because you know they put in things like there'd be a photograph in one and a, a book cover in another, and a Christmas card with a third. Ah, do you have all and those? Yes. Were you part? Everybody, were you part of the? Okay, sorry. Bag. Everybody uh, chases after the shopping bag album because that came with a free shopping bag. Oh, see, so I like things like that. So that's the famous one. But yes, um, most, not all, came with a little extra something. Well, I know people who were uh, part of the Partridge Family fan club. I'm sure they got things that were collectible. Yeah, um, I, I was chasing a Partridge Family fan club membership pack that had the flexi disc and everything else on eBay, and that sort of the price of that got a. Oh, if you could get a flexi disc <laughs> of any band, but especially if it's a if it's a band that people remember, it's always going to be worth something. I, think. I wish I kept all the flexi discs. I used to get you know, during the 70s, early 80s, have been stuck to magazine covers. or. I'm surprised you haven't. <sighs> you never play them, you know, and they just sit there and they get screwed up in the box because a cat will sit on them. Well, that's but, because you, know. you can't uh, take off the coin that you've uh, glued <laughs> on to keep it weighted down. You got <laughs> This way it doesn't get lost. <laughs> I think they have Slade to talk to Melody, uh, Melody listeners. That was great. Well, I hope you find that Partridge family flexi desk soon. Yes, <laughs> um, 
Well, yeah, we'll get the Beatles Christmas flexes this year. Maybe we'll get the Partridge Flexi collection next year. We might, and you're pushing me to do a um, Partridge Family Summer Edition issue. Yes, so. we'll we definitely should. <laughs> so we'll we'll get rid of the Beach Boys Summer Surf issue and do Partridge Family. How about yeah, that? Yeah, so you do the Beach Boys every year <laughs> anyway. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay, well, thanks, Dave. Yep, thanks. Talk to you soon. Okay, bye. All right, that was the show. Thank you, Mark Briotti. Thank you, Ken Sharp. And thank you, Dave Thompson. Uh, readers, listeners, don't forget to go to goldminemag.com. And then when you go there, please subscribe. You'll get Goldmine print delivered to you every month. You won't regret it. Music collectors, you will love it. So we'll see you, and thank you for listening, and we'll see you next time. Thank you.